truth is, I could have written those words multiple times over the last week or two. So could you. I'm painfully aware of the struggles that I face in my walk with God. Those hurdles that I just can't seem to get past, the flaws that are there in my character. The harsh reality is for all of us that our weaknesses don't become strengths. Our wounds and scars in life don't disappear instantly the moment that we accept Christ. And though our past sins are forgiven, our tendencies towards them remain. Paul's personal confession in Romans 7 erases any doubt that we might have about that fact. And after bringing us face-to-face with our struggles and with our inability to get past our struggles in those verses, Paul then leaves us with one more very important question. Is there anybody out there, anyone, who can help us? Well, good morning, everybody. I was really tempted to post on Facebook this morning that because of the snow, Gordon would be here. But I didn't. So... uh, Uh, So here we are, uh, the remnant of the people who were brave enough to brave the first snowpocalypse of the season. Uh, For about 35 years of my life now, I have served on staff in the local church in some capacity. First seven years or so, I was a youth pastor, and then God forgave my sins, and I began to work with adults. I am deeply thankful that at a very critical juncture early in my ministry, there were some key individuals who began to influence my life and teach me about this concept of biblical community. And if that's a new idea for you, it's a relatively simple idea. It's just this principle that a few people will get together on a regular basis and they will, with intentionality, dig into God's Word And they'll get real about what's going on in their life. And what I learned firsthand from being in community is that it is the single best way to affect real and lasting change in our lives. It is how we address those issues that Paul raises in Romans 7. When he asks the question, how in the world do we stop doing the things that we don't want to do and seem to keep doing? And how do we start doing the things that we want to do, but we never find the willpower or the strength to do? So before we go any further talking about community, let me just address the elephant in the room. For most people in the room, anytime the conversation comes up about getting into a community group, Jumping in just sounds weird. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. I know that because I've started a lot of groups and I've invited people and that's what they tell me. I know that because I've led community group ministries and helped other people start groups. And people just look at me and go, that's just weird. Don't want to go there. So I've heard a lot of people give a lot of reasons and excuses and just say no and Generally, I think it boils down to three or four things that people say about joining a community group, getting into community. comes out something like this. 
So let me get this right. What you want me to do is carve two to three hours a week out of my already chaotic life that's out of control, right? Second, you want me to take those two to three hours a week and go to somebody's home that I don't know and sit down with strangers that I don't know. Emphasis on the word strange. When they hear strange, immediately the picture in their mind they get is of Jerry Springer alumni (laughs) gathered in a home. Okay? That's who they're going to meet with. And then, three, you want me to be prepared to confess the deepest, darkest internal struggles I have in my life to those Jerry Springer alumni. It's starting to sound like the Springer show all more all the time, right? And oh, by the way, number four, on my way to that mostly awkward, unpleasant experience, you want me to pick up some food to feed those strangers who are there. That's what a community group is in most people's mind. That's why they reject it as weird and awkward. And I'll confess, okay, that I felt a little awkward six weeks ago climbing in the car with my wife and driving to the first gathering of a brand new couples group that we were joining. And I've been doing this 35 years. So we got in the car, we got ready to go, and it just felt awkward, right? And I knew everybody in that group. I mean, we know each other from church. This wasn't strangers. But first dates are awkward, right? This is awkward. Um, (laughs) First dates are awkward, right? Let me just ask you a question. How many of you met your spouse on a first date? Okay? I mean, you all had a first date with your spouse. Okay, that was a trick question. First dates are just awkward. They just, it's the way they're supposed to be. I knew these people, but I'd never sat with them in a home. I'd never cracked open the Bible and started to study with them. I didn't know what that experience was going to be like with this couples group. So why do I do it? I mean, I got 35 years of experience in this. Why do I push past the awkwardness, the discomfort? Why am I in that group with those people? I don't mean like those people. I mean those people, okay? And if I'm confessing, why am I in another group that's a men's group? I'm in two groups. I'm really messed up. Why am I in two groups? Why do I push through all this discomfort? Because I know what happens in good groups over time. Because the way God made us, real change happens best, happens deepest, happens most often in community. It's only in community that we're able to get real about what God's doing in our lives. The changes we need to make. It's only in community that we're able to find people who will walk with us long term as we really try to make those changes in our life. And it's only in community that we're going to find people who will hang with us when we mess up, when we screw up, when we fail in making those changes. They're just going to stick with us. And it may feel weird and awkward at the beginning, but community is God's plan A for how we grow. Look back at the early church, the beginning of the church. It's how the church started. Look at Acts chapter 2. 
They had this practice from the beginning of the church. They met every single day. Don't miss that. Every day. They met in the temple courts and house to house, Luke writes. Temple courts, house to house. They met for this corporate teaching, and then they'd get together in the house and have a meal, process what was taught, and apply it to their lives. For us, we get together on Sunday morning, and we teach, and then we get together in a group every week, every other week, and apply it to our lives. We're just doing what the church has always done in a healthy way, in community. So for 35 years of being in groups, I've seen powerful things happen. I've got a long list of those powerful things, but I've narrowed it down to three this morning that I just want to talk about briefly of the best things that I see happen in community. I think the first thing is there is just this real and lasting benefit from belonging in a group. God has designed us to live this life, not only connected to Him, but to each other. I think one of the saddest things that I ever hear people say is, all I need is God. It's just not true. We need each other. Research backs up what the Bible teaches about that. Study after study says we just need to be connected to each other. People who connect deeply with each other, Live longer, live better, live more healthily. Forget the gym membership, join a group. Now it's crazy. But at the same time that we know we need to be connected, there is this natural tendency in every one of us to gravitate towards isolation. Rather than get connected, we isolate ourselves. We work longer hours. We build this sense of self-sufficiency. We just make our lives busier. And I think sometimes we do it intentionally. Sometimes we isolate ourselves out of fear. We look at our lives and we carry some scars because of past experiences. We've opened up, we've gotten close to people, and we've been hurt. And so if we just stay isolated... That just means fewer problems. We take fewer risks, there's fewer problems in our lives. But God has said it from the beginning of time. In the book of Genesis, he said, it's not good for us to be alone. That whole idea of being alone strikes a chord deep inside of me. Maybe your family, maybe your family is like the Norman Rockwell paintings. Mine's not. Never has been. My extended family lives very far away. I've got a son and his wife who live in Palatine. Other than that, my daughter lives in California. My other family that I am close to lives in Ohio. And I've got two brothers I haven't spoken to for two and a half years. And that's for my own safety. I won't go into all that now. This isn't group therapy for me. Grab a cup of coffee sometime if you want to hear the whole story before it gets put in a book and into a movie. But that's just the truth. It's for my own safety that we don't talk. So this idea of being alone is very real to me. We've lived in Chicago for almost 20 years now. We could be 
very alone. Except, we made the decision 20 years ago when we moved to Chicago to invest deeply in community. I'm in a men's group. I mentioned that before. I didn't start the group. I don't lead the group. I'm just one of the guys in the group. And I've told these guys many times that I am closer to them than I am to my own brothers. We talk more often. We talk more deeply. We're together more often than, that, than has ever been true of my brothers. We laugh more together. We talk about spiritual things than I was, more than I was ever able to do with my brothers. And the thing I love most about this group is that when I walk in the door for our community group or when we're just hanging out, I'm not the pastor. I have to check that at this door. I'm just Greg. And they've actually called me on that a couple of times, said, time out, you're not pastor, you're Greg. Cut that crap out. Thank you. Somebody whistle back. Um, So you're going to do that to me now when I'm talking to you out in the lobby? Go, you're not Greg. That's just the unit. Thank you very much. Very cute. That's going to sound really good on the podcast. Everybody in the church doing that little whistle. Um, They're just my friends. And I love that in this group. There's a deeper connection that has been formed in that group over the last three years than we could have ever formed just seeing each other on Sunday morning or hanging out together occasionally. Over the time we've been together, I have seen every single guy in that group grow and change. And I can honestly say to you, it's not because of the study topic. That's been important, but that's not been the most important thing. We've grown and changed because together we've handled the stuff that life has thrown at each one of us. We've been together long enough. We've been intentional enough in the time that we've been together that we don't have to pretend. We don't have to hold back. We don't have to edit the storyline of our life when we get together. And that's a huge benefit of just being connected. When you get into that kind of community, there's other benefits that come. One of those is we're just honest in community. And that happens when you get connected. Now, I don't want to scare you. It's not like that kind of honesty happens the very first night that you get together. (laughs) Okay? There are some people that think that's what happens. First night you get there, you hang your coat up, you walk in the room, you sit in a circle, and the leader says, okay, let's dig in. First question, let's go around circle, confess your greatest sin you've ever committed. And then we'll go deep. You know, that's not how groups work. It's not how friendships work, really. I mean, some of your closest friends in your life, you built those friendships over time. You earned each other's trust. And then you opened up those deeper parts of your life. That's how community works. When you feel safe. When you earn trust. You open up. You get honest over time. I think a lot of times when we think about being honest, about telling the truth to each other in relationships, we end up avoiding telling the truth. And and there's some good reasoning behind that. We've all been in relationships. We've been in churches where being honest about ourselves is not a safe thing to do. We tell the truth to some people and they'll either walk away from us because they can't handle it or they'll try to fix us rather than just listen and be with us. 
And then sometimes we're with somebody and there is this idea of speaking truth to them. We've done that enough in relationships that we know that's like trying to tiptoe through a minefield. It's not easy to do. And so we've had enough bad experiences in our life with either telling the truth about ourselves or telling the truth to somebody that we just kind of pull back. We've had enough of seeing people get angry, of, of, of getting upset with us and withholding love, or even on the other extreme, just lashing out at us and hurting us when we're just trying to be truthful. And yet Scripture tells us that as we mature in Christ, as we grow up, That's something we all ought to be able to do. Ephesians 4 says, We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of His body, the church. And I think therein lies some of the issue, the ability to speak that truth in love. Because all of us have a natural tendency with that. See, think about this for just a minute. Which one of these is you? Some of us have the, the natural tendency to be on this extreme, and we tend to speak truth. Is that you? You're just out there with the truth. If love is over here and truth is over here, you're on this end of the continuum. You're a very, very truthful person. It can be really hard to find the love in the things that you say. Don't raise your hand, but is that you? You know? If the person beside you is putting their elbows in your ribs, it might be you. Just a thought. Then on this end of the continuum is the person who just communicates love in their words. Avoids the truth at all costs. They don't like conflict. They don't like saying the hard things that have to be said. And so they avoid the truth, even though it needs to be spoken. Well, neither one of those extremes is right. We go too far on the truth in and we leave love out. Our communication is just brutal. It hurts people. Leaves them wounded and damages relationships. We go all the way on the truth into the continuum. I'm sorry, on the love into the continuum. We leave the truth out. We just become hypocritical. There's not authenticity in our relationships. And we'll never get it exactly perfect. We never balance those things exactly right. And that's where grace comes in in the relationship. But we have to move to the center. We have to know where our tendencies are. How do we learn those things? Honestly, community is the best laboratory to learn it. I think about this and I think of a friend of mine from 20 years ago, I was in a group with. His name was Brent. Brent's a phenomenal guy. Really, really is. Good-hearted guy. Brent was in a group with us, and Brent was a talker. Okay? We would have discussions. We'd raise a question. Brent would be the first guy to talk every single question. Every single question. We'd ask, how are you? He was the first to respond. We'd say, did you bring your Bible? He was the first one to respond. And he'd talk five minutes about the fact that he brought his Bible. I mean, he had long answers to everything. What do you do with somebody like that? You've got them in your life. You know you do. You're going to be at Thanksgiving dinner with them this week. You're going to think about this when you see them at Thanksgiving dinner. There are talkers in our lives. What do you do when they're in your group? 
we were committed to Brent. We loved him. And so we talked with him. Encouraged him to talk less. Encouraged him to help other people to share more. Pull back a little bit. Don't be the first one to talk. And when you do talk, talk a little bit less. That didn't work. (laughs) He talked about four and a half minutes instead of five. And so we talked to him a little bit more, and we worked with him a little bit more. It took about six months for him to really pull back, really begin to grow. We're committed to him, and we helped him grow. Why? What Brent had was not a small group problem. It wasn't a community problem. What Brent had was a life problem. He talked too much in group. He talked too much in all of his relationships. Over six months, he grew, and he became a better group member. He became a better dad. He became a better husband, friend, employee. Because he learned to listen more and talk less. The truth, honesty can be freeing and healing when it's administered in a loving environment, free of condemnation. In community like that, people don't fall apart. They don't have tantrums when they're confronted with the truth. Conflicts happen in life, but in community like that, they're resolved. Relationships get better. We find we can receive the truth and still feel loved and still feel Grace. Sometimes that truth comes across as a gentle, loving word, a word of encouragement, somebody pointing out to us an area where we could grow in our relationship with God. I'll be honest, sometimes it still comes across as a shot of reality. But who better to give that to us than someone who loves us and is committed to walking with us? That's so much better than somebody just lobbing a grenade over the wall and running. Maybe the most important thing that happens when we join a group, when we get into community, is that it, new, that it normalizes our struggles. Look, we're going to have trouble in this life. We are. Jesus said so in John 16. It's just normal and natural. How life will go for us depends a lot on how we handle those struggles. Peter writes, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God's not on the job. Instead, be glad that you're in the very thick of what Christ experienced. All these troubles, all these hardships, they're just a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. When we're alone, isolated, life challenges, life's situations can seem overwhelming unbearable. But if we're a part of a loving community, our perspective is different. We get encouragement. And God brings resources around us that we could never manufacture on our own. When people used to ask me to attend a group, my first thought was, I don't have time for this. I really don't need it. I grew up in church my entire life. My parents were ministers, so I figured I'd had it all covered and I really didn't need the small group. 
The excuses I always used is I don't have time, I'm too busy. Deep down inside, I think I was kind of afraid. I was afraid they were gonna have me pray out loud, read out loud, tell my whole life story, and I just wasn't sure that I was ready to do that. The first time I ever decided to go to a group, the first thing that happened is I realized nobody asked me to do anything that I was uncomfortable with. We became friends. We all got to learn a little bit about each other as we felt comfortable. It was just a good group of people getting together and learning together. My husband and I had decided that we really wanted to move. We wanted to be up here closer to my daughter and we put our house on the market. We had it on the market for over a year. Not one person even came to look at it. We discussed it. We knew that when the time was right, God would just send someone to buy our house. One day we went to church in the morning and my husband wasn't feeling very well. And after we left church, he said, I think I want to go over to the hospital. We went to the hospital and he was admitted. I had left him that night at the hospital. They were running some tests on him. The next morning I came in and he was no longer my husband. Mentally, he had gone into what they thought was some type of a stroke and um, his brain was no longer there and I was sitting in that room by myself. It was the, the people in my group who came through and sat with me and held my hand and worked me through that. That journey lasted for eight months. During that time, my small group, we called ourselves sister friends. They came to my home. They took care of him so I would have some time. They took care of me. The time came when my husband passed away and I was sitting at home. The house was not for sale. I was trying to recover and a lady came up and knocked on my door. And she told me she was looking to buy a house in this neighborhood and heard that I might be thinking about moving. She came into the home. She looked it over and said, I really like this house. Asked the price. I gave her just a price that I knew it was close. She said, I'll take it. And I have cash. Can you be out before the end of the year? That was a God thing. God moved me up here. So with that part of my life and what these ladies did for me in my small group, when I moved up here to Chicago, I was here, I had just my daughter and, and her husband and their family here. It was necessary for me to get plugged in as quickly as possible. When I came to Westridge, I did get plugged in with the women of Westridge, but then I also found that there was no group for people who were widowed. I felt it was very necessary and I really felt God was leading me to be able to share my journey with others and to be able to help others along that path. It is so important to be in a small group so that you've got a family, you've got people who you can turn to at any time, whether it's a, a need for something bad that's happening in your life or even for the joys in your life. It's a group of people where you can really be connected and they're there for you. You can be there for them. Sally started her group about a year ago and it's been amazing to watch as they've become this group of about 12 individuals. 
who were largely alone and would come in and out of the service on Sundays. And now they're walking their journey together. Uh, And they have a blast together, supporting each other. Because they're not alone. And their struggle uh, is not unique. C.S. Lewis, in one of his books, said, the typical expression of friendship would be something like this. What? You too? I thought I was the only one. I would tell you that, for me, until I decided to become vulnerable, until I decided to drop the facade that I had it all together, I had this Christian life thing all figured out, until I decided to get honest with a group of people. I thought I was the only one who ever questioned if God was real. I thought I was the only one who ever felt like I didn't want to read my Bible or pray. I thought I was the only guy in the world who ever lost his temper and said things he shouldn't to his wife or his kids. I thought I was the only one who ever questioned God's love in the face of death or cancer. But once I got in a group, I realized my struggles are pretty much normal. It's the stuff every one of us is working through. That's the power of community. In its simplest form, community is just a group of messed up people who are able to look at each other and go, huh, you too? Because when we get in community, we understand grace in a whole new way. Because we're fully known. And even though we're fully known, maybe because we're fully known, we're fully loved. I will go to my grave. You can write this down. I will go to my grave believing in the power of community. Now, I'm not promising you that community is going to be perfect. In fact, I will promise you this. Community will never be perfect. (laughs) Because you're going to be there. Every group that I've ever been in has been weird. Because I've been there. But if you can put up with my weirdness, I can put up with your imperfection. It's just the way community works. And as we hang out with each other in community, we'll get to know each other. And the truth is, once we really know each other, then we can really say we love each other. And once we say we love each other, then that love's going to be tested, refined. And as that love is tested and refined, our love for Jesus is tested and refined. And we grow. That's the power of community.
We need community. We need each other. It's the only way that we're going to make it through this life with our faith intact.